Hello and welcome. You're listening to Living Digital, an SLB podcast series. Today, we're going to be delving into the world of energy transition again, and we're going to be speaking specifically about one of the technologies that will turn the energy transition from an aspiration into a reality, namely carbon capture and storage. Joining us today for his expert take on the matter is Steve Freeman, SLB Digital and Integrations Head of Energy Transition. Steve, thanks once again for joining us today. Hi, Tim. Great to be here. Steve, I think a good place to start is explaining for us what we mean by CCS and sometimes CCUS. When we talk about CCS and CCUS, then just to give us some context there, so CCS, carbon capture and storage, or carbon capture and sequestration, if you prefer that uh, particular piece, is all around how do we capture these kind of waste gases that come from industrial processes, whether it be chemicals factories, whether it be power plants. How do we then compress that into a material, a fluid that we can move around? We then kind of transport that typically through pipelines or or via ships. And then we store that in the ground. We inject it deep into the ground into rock sequences we know that can store those kind of gases for millions of years. So that's kind of carbon capture and storage or sequestration. In other cases, people describe CCUS, so that adds in kind of use or utilisation. So in that case, once you've captured the gases and transported them, you can think you might use them for things like generating new chemical products, new fuels. Each of those different areas is kind of open for different levels of benefit and different applications. It very much depends on what the infrastructure is, the economic dynamics in different areas to mean which is the most cost-effective solution to deliver the decarbonisation goals that are required. With regards to CCS, where do you see these techniques fitting in a lower carbon future? The various different international energy bodies that have looked at how the world and the world's industries need to decarbonize recognize that CCS, CCUS, has a critical role to play in being able to deliver that decarbonization future. Whether it's kind of the IPCC, whether it's IEA, all understand that what appears to be the cheapest way to transition involves a substantial amount of CCS in the mix. You know, whether that be 5, 10, 15% of the overall decarbonisation challenge being delivered through that mechanism. So what does the CCS life cycle look like and can you describe the processes and stages involved? So one of the interesting things about um, CCS is that there's a physical distribution of uh, the technology and then there's also a natural kind of uh, life cycle to any particular project. If you talk about the physical distribution, then essentially you've got three steps in that process. You've got the capturing of these waste gases from the various different industrial sources. That's the capture piece. You've then got the movement of that to where you're going to store it in the ground. That's the transportation phase. And then you've got the storage site uh, where you're going to inject that into the subsurface where it's going to stay for thousands or millions of years uh, into the future. So we have the capture, transport and storage locations across that integrated asset, then there is a life cycle to it. So initially, there is a screening phase where you look at where are the emissions occurring, where could you find safe permanent storage sites, 
And how could you economically connect all of those pieces together? So you go through that initial screening and feasibility. Once you identify the sources of emissions and the the storage locations, you go into a more detailed evaluation. Is there the right volume of rocks? Can you contain the amount of CO2 you need in the subsurface uh, for that? Can you ensure that you can inject those uh, gases at the right rate to be able to uh, remove the amount of emissions you need? And can you ensure that there will be the containment of those gases in the subsurface for thousands of years. Okay, so we go through that detailed phase that typically involves scientific analysis from multiple different disciplines coming together to be able to give us a rigorous understanding. And all of the time, we're continuously evaluating the uncertainties, the what-if events, ensuring that we can confidently and safely identify the right locations with the right equipment, with the right operational procedures to ensure safe and permanent storage. What geographies are we looking at for the storage part of CCS? And in getting the emissions from A to B, who are the parties involved? So on the first one, the first question there, kind of which geographies can this be applied over? Now, thankfully, there are a wide range of geological scenarios that are capable of storing these gases for thousands, if not millions of years. We see them, and other parties who evaluate this see them in just about every region of the world. So the identification of appropriate storage facilities is not so much of a challenge. It's really kind of how can you ensure that you can do this economically? How can you find where the emission site is, how you can transport it and get it to the right storage site in a way that makes the entire CCS asset cost base effective and realistic to work in. In terms of the transportation piece, again, this is relatively straightforward. We're talking about moving gases around in ways that we have a long history of being able to do. The chemistry is subtly different, and you need to be able to understand the thermodynamics that go on in these systems. But the technology that we develop in SLB, as well as other groups, allow us to be able to predict with confidence how you need to operate to stay well within safety margins. Storage locations, yes, they are geographically specific, but they are widespread. It's very much around how can you make the economics work? How can you link the emitters, the transportation and the storage pieces together to make these all make sense? That is the next question. How does this become both commercially viable and scalable? That's a question that many companies are asking themselves. And, you know, fundamentally, it is driven by some form of carbon tax or carbon incentive. We're taking waste gases and we're having to dispose of those waste gases in the subsurface, which naturally is a cost. Now, the cost of that in many jurisdictions is for the right conditions, less than the carbon taxes that are being uh, put in place in those in those areas. For instance, if you take Europe with the emissions trading scheme, there are clear carbon taxes. Likewise, if you go to a lot of the countries around the world, the carbon taxes or the carbon incentives are sufficient or close to sufficient to be able to cover the costs of being able to build and operate these CCS facilities. And clearly you can see there is a general direction of travel that the carbon tax will increase as we go forward, which means that these projects move ever more towards being economic and, and generating those revenues. So it sounds like the success 
of CCS projects is going to be based as much around the carbon tax and incentives environment as the technology. Yeah, absolutely. It's a delicate interplay between the capital costs and the operating costs on these CCS facilities, which are significant, being countered by the carbon taxes or the carbon incentives and the benefits that you can get by um, removing CO2 from these systems. And so certainly what we are doing a lot of is the digital modeling of these systems. If you're going to receive certain benefits by reducing your emissions, is that sufficient to be able to have confidence in being able to make these large capital investments to be able to stand up and operate these CCS facilities? And thankfully, the way the world is going with an ever greater drive to decarbonize and therefore an increase in the carbon taxes, it's making it more and more attractive to the heavy industries around the world to be able to scale out CCS. And I think that's what we all need. And that's what we're all driving towards. Within that, then, what's the ideal scenario to bring these technologies online in a manner that will allow the world to keep to its climate goals? It's very much driven around the investment framework, being able to ensure that you understand what are the requirements from a technical and financial perspective. You understand clearly what are the financial incentives that mean that you can generate a viable economic business and being able to, to move forward with speed, ensuring that you can provide the regulators what they need to get the confidence to allow investments to occur in the various different businesses. So it's very much around the regulatory investment framework that allows the technical work to happen. We know how to do these projects. It's all around how can we justify these economically, and that comes back to the framework. So Steve, what does the future of CCS look like? We're seeing quite an evolution, and we have over the last kind of um, five to ten years. So historically, nearly all of the CCS activity was based in the U.S. There was strong support from government for those particular programs, and typically what happened was there was an individual emitter, which might have been a power plant, it might have been a ethanol factory, for instance, and they wanted to abate their emissions, so you stood up a CCS project, which was locally capturing from a particular site, transporting a short amount of distance, and then storing that in that local vicinity. Those worked effectively in the US, but there wasn't really the support elsewhere. What we've seen this evolution over the last kind of three, four years is the move towards more hub projects. So here you're now building infrastructure that can not just capture CO2 from one facility and remove it, but potentially capturing it from 5, 10, 15, 20 different facilities and then be able to store that in a major subsurface asset. By doing that, you dramatically cut the costs associated with how you design and deploy these capture facilities. You dramatically cut the costs associated with transportation. It's far cheaper to transport larger volumes relatively than smaller volumes. And likewise, it becomes a lot cheaper to operate these subsurface facilities. It's a lot cheaper to be able to inject larger volumes relative and smaller volumes. So all of the world is seeing this kind of migration towards these hubs and they're starting to make these things more economic, which is great for industry because it means that there are more industries that become more relevant in the CCS space. So it broadens out the amount of CO2 that can be captured from many different industries. And that's what we're going to see as we drive forward. Technology is going to improve to drive down prices. 
scale up will drive down prices and that allows us to be able to capture more CO2 to remove more emissions in a faster way. I think it's important to underline that when we're talking about the sectors that these CCS hubs can cater for, it's not just energy we're talking about. It's hard to abate in industries like cement and steel as well, that kind of thing. The interesting economic challenge with CCS is that the cost is typically associated with the relative level of purity of the CO2 that's coming out from these facilities. So the cheapest capture of CO2 comes from the facilities that are producing the most pure CO2 outputs. And those historically have been um, oil and gas kind of processing facilities. They've been bioenergy, ethanol type plants, fertilizer type plants. And that's where CCS has been concentrated to date. But what the world needs is to be able to abate the emissions from all of the world's heavy industries. So that is the cement companies, it's the aluminium companies, it's the power companies. Those typically have less pure CO2 flue gases coming out of those facilities and therefore they they naturally have a higher cost to be able to capture and concentrate those CO2 rich fluids. As we move towards hub type models, as we move towards more scalable solutions, as in technology improves about how we can concentrate these things uh, more effectively, it now starts to include all of the major heavy industries. And so now you know, we, like many others, are working with a whole array of different industries to be able to decarbonize the world's heavy industries for the long run. So what is the position of digital in the evolving CCS story and where does SLB fit within that? The challenge here is very much trying to understand at each stage of the life cycle and each position within this kind of complex asset from capture, transport and storage. What are the costs? What are the operating conditions? You know, how can you design this thing in the safest, most economic way that you have confidence that these facilities, once constructed, will operate for the next 20, 30 years and deliver the decarbonisation goals the world needs at the economics that those industries need. And that's the key role of digital. It's all around how do we design ahead of time? What is the best capture system? What is the best uh, technology to be able to concentrate those CO2, to be able to compress those gases? Then what is the best design of pipeline to be able to transmit those fluids from the emitter site to the storage site? And then when we get to the storage site, how many wells do you need to be able to drill into the subsurface? How deep should you go? When you inject that into the subsurface, where will that CO2 go to? Can you demonstrate that that CO2 will stay in place in the subsurface for thousands of years? All of those things are being digitally modelled across all of these assets. And that's what SLB has a long history and a speciality in being able to do. And that's why, thankfully, our technology is being used around the world across many different uh, CCS assets to be able to do that de-risking to allow the investments to occur, to allow these CCS facilities to be designed and then scaled. When we look across these these lifecycle pieces, you know, there are these three main chunks. There's the, the capture piece, then there's the transport piece, and then the storage piece. On the capture side, then our symmetry technology is being used to be able to understand how do you capture that CO2 from the emission site. So we can look at all of the range of different available technologies and 
model which is the most cost effective for the rates and the compositions of gases that are being generated in that site. Symmetry is then being used to be able to understand how would you best design the compressors and the dewatering facilities to be able to take those gases and prepare them to be able to be transported the distances to the storage site. When we go into transport, then it's our Olga technology, which is um, being used around the world to understand what are the ways in which those fluids should be treated, the pressures and temperatures with which they should be um, constrained to provide the safest and most economic way to be able to move those gases around. And then when we get to the storage facilities, then we need to be able to visualize and model the subsurface. That's where our Petrel technologies, uh, in conjunction with our reservoir simulators, Eclipse and Intersect, are being used. Those are being used in conjunction with our geomechanical simulators like Visage to ensure that you've got uh, safe operational conditions. And they are linked to our flow assurance technologies, Olga, to ensure that you can safely and effectively inject the CO2 down the well bore, out from the well, into the reservoir, and then it stays safely contained for thousands of years. So digital technologies being used to model every single step of the process and give insight across the entire integrated asset. And we'll link to all of those technologies in the podcast description. Steve, as always, succinct and comprehensive. Thank you very much for your time. And we look forward to speaking to you again soon. Fantastic. And thank you very much for the opportunity to to have this chat. 